0: Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff Suckendorf, CEO of UTD. I don't even know the name of my company anymore, Change.
1: We did <laughs> what that five times. Is the name Who changed?
0: Yeah, it's UTD Scuba Diving now, not Unified Team Diving. Now. Well, it's UTD Team Diving or UTD Scuba Diving. Or UTD, diving. it yeah. You
1: can have an official name. It's UTD Scuba Diving. Okay.
0: All right, everybody, welcome to this podcast, UTD Scuba Diving Podcast. I'm Jeff Seckendorf, the CEO of UTD Scuba Diving. I'm here with Ben Boss, Training Director. Hey, Ben. Hey, everyone. So we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to do a, start a program called Ask Us Anything. and Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. But,
1: or Ask UTD Anything.
0: Ask UTD Anything, right. The problem is we don't know what to call this thing. Is it Ask Us Anything? Is it Ask UTD Anything? We don't really have a name. So... Can
1: you guys... I mean, can you guys come up with something that's better than us saying Ask UTD Anything because it's a bit on the nose? Maybe come up with something interesting. And
0: let us know. Info at yeah. dot com. We We need some names because there are lots of podcasts that are Ask Blank Anything or yeah. Ask Us About This. So we need something that's catchy snappy has a good hashtag yeah all of that so we're gonna keep doing these these uh, ask us anything podcasts without a name until we get a name and then we'll continue to do them with the name after we have a name
1: yeah after we have a name yeah. but let's first find the name so help us out here get us a name
0: info at utd com. we're lost <laughs> without our name exactly and, of course, we were kind of lost anyway because the company yeah. changed names. Um probably five or six years ago we switched from Unified Team Diving to UTD Scuba Diving. Yeah. Um, under advice of one of our IT guys who said, you know, your name doesn't say Scuba Diving in it, so the URL is not going to get the hits it was. So it, what a McGilla it was to change the name.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm still getting email and contacts on unified team diving and now I'm starting to actually merge the two of them together and slash them together and oh my
1: god yeah I I think the thing is also because the acronym still stands for that unified team diving but the UTD scuba diving just has a clearer tone to it I guess
0: I guess who knows I mean how many people who are PADI certified or NAWI certified know what those acronyms really mean right I mean it's just become Uh, the name so I kind of I'm kind of torn because, you know, UTD Scuba Diving is a better search engine name and all that. But on the other hand, it doesn't really say what we do like Unified Team Diving does.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah. Oh, well. We'll see. What's in it anyway, name, right? <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> being found, for one That's thing.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs>
0: so, um, So we're going to run through a series of questions and see which take us. Uh, in an interesting direction and uh which ones take us off the rails and uh the, so i'm going to just jump right into this so, and, and you can submit your questions anytime just drop them to info at utdscuba or
1: on facebook or, on our youtube channel whatever you see us pop up and you got a question um you know pop it in there and we'll if it's a it's a valid question we'll um uh we'll 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 address it. I mean, we can't promise that we'll address all the questions we get because we get quite a few, but um we'll uh, we'll pick them out. Even if it's not a valid question.
0: That might even be more interesting.
1: Well, yeah. Question about your <laughs> lover or how to, you know, <laughs> how to yeah. cook dinner. We might giving, not be qualified.
0: Giving relationship advice may not be our best target. No. But we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's the first thing. So Ben, last week you published a video, and I think it was a little bit older. Um, uh, I can't remember what, it, what the topic was. But you popped out of the water, you had your camera, you were recording sound, and you had a small dry suit dump valve on your hood. Yeah. And that was really interesting. And you started, I mean, most of the comments on the video were not about the content, not about the interest in the topic, not about waiting. Or They were like, why do you have a dump valve on your hood?
1: Yeah, so well, I got I got to come out that. of the closet once, right? So I'm really not a person. I'm actually Frankenstein, and that <laughs> little bolt that sticks out of my head needs to go somewhere. So that's why I put the little little dump valve on <laughs> that's, there. So that's good. Just so gives you room there. for the bolt, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah,
0: because um, we've always put put um, holes in our hood, right? Yeah, and of course it, it, the first thing that does is let cold water in.
1: Well, the thing is, it born it was the idea was born way back, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, when I dived with a full face mask. And the mask I was wearing was a, a mask from a, a type AGA. It's a brand and it has uh, straps to keep the mask on your, on your face. And full face mask divers knows what it's called, but it's called a spider because it has more than just the normal two straps you have on your normal diving mask. And one of those straps goes straight over the top of your head in downside the middle. And back then I realized that because the mask is making an airtight seal on your hood and your hood is making an airtight seal on your face, all the air that will come out of your nose uh, and and when you're looking down, it'll go up in the head. And because that center strap kind of blocked those natural holes in the hood, it, it made your head look like a, you know, part of the... Uh, what do you call the cone heads on television.
0: So so, so you're saying that the holes worked with a regular mask, but they didn't work when there was a strap pressing down on the holes. Because on the way I've done the holes on my hoods is i put a bunch of holes in it, if it weren't there, then I, I attached a small piece of neoprene over that with holes in different places or a seam not closed or something. So then the gas could get out. But you're saying when you compress all that together with a strap, the gas won't get out of the hood.
1: Well, exactly, because most manufactured hoods with those venting holes. I mean, the thicker hoods have those venting holes in them, but they're usually right also down the center as well. So that that got plugged up. And the fact that because of a, a um, we had modified our hood, so I had a like a face neoprene on both sides, so the the mask would make a good seal. Um, the air would be all around you all the time, unlike in a normal mask where. Only if you want to, and you blow out your nose, you get air that that escapes from the skirt around it. So uh, those were uh, the reason back in the day when I changed to putting a little cuff dump. It's a tiny little cuff dump. uh, On Yeah, I used to have those on my dry suit. We used to put them on
0: the the wrist of a dry suit instead of a shoulder dump because it was
1: so much easier to control. Well, exactly. That's what they're made for, right? I mean, and believe it or not, a little bit off topic, but I got a guy when I owned a dive center, he wanted to buy two. And I was like, okay, why do you want two? And then he explained to me because he had so much trouble getting the air out of his feet in his dry suit. So he wanted two vents in his dry suit legs. But... That's a whole other topic. but <laughs> Okay, that just sounds like a horribly bad idea. <laughs> Crazy idea.
0: I mean, that sounds that's, like a bad idea.
1: That's like punching a hole in the bottom of your bucket because it's too heavy when you're carrying it with water, you know? <laughs> yeah, hey, exactly. So see? you
0: put this, so so this little dry suit dump valve, it's small. It's about yeah, it's a, it's a very small bigger.
1: and low profile like valve that is not adjustable. It's just a... Yeah, it's like two and a half centimeters in diameter, I guess. And it's always open. You can't turn it off like a dry suit valve. No, it's the simple mushroom valve that's inside there. So it's not adjustable. It just, you know, it's a one-way valve uh, with a mushroom valve. So when I started diving with a rebreather, um, you sometimes have to exhale through your nose to, to adjust for your, your loop PPO2 and your loop volume. And... For those rebreather divers out there, um, you you know what I mean by, by flushing the loop through a nasal flush when you blow out your nose. And in UTD, when we teach people how to dive on a rebreather, we have a rule that's, uh, that is we don't add good gas on top of bad gas. So if we can see that we have to adjust our PPO2, we first exhale to get rid of bad gas and then put on the gas we actually want. Now... The result of doing a nasal flush means that when you blow out your nose the air escapes from the skirt of your mask and doesn't always go down the bottom down your nose, but it also goes down the sides and then it goes into your hood. And here in the northern part of Europe where the water can get really cold we wear relatively tight-fitting thick hoods and the air has just a hard time escaping. And I found that the Standard tiny holes that are in most hoods just didn't cope with the volume. To my liking, I just either I had to go in a hood that's too big and it's just too floppy. So I just went back to adopting that little um dump valve on it because it's a huge hole. It's like it's maybe a, a centimeter across the hole you puncture but, in your
0: but, hood. But no water comes in it. So no way water valve.
1: comes in, so it's a one-way valve. So it, it, it you, immediately you talk it about clears uh, it.
0: When you talk about diving in cold water, man, you're just you're not kidding, right? I mean, you're in Northern Europe. It's like it, it's you know, just, your water is it, yeah cold. It's
1: just just before it gets stiff. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. So, should I put one of these in my little five millimeter hood that I use when the water is sixty Fahrenheit, which is what about? No, I I you know, don't. 15? I mean.
1: Because thin hoods generally are more loose fitting, so the f- the fabric is more forgiving. I found that it's only in the thicker hoods that I need it, because they're they're stiffer in a way. Even though the newer materials are, are much nicer than they used to be, but um, no, I feel it it works it works a treat for me. I mean, it it's just personal, right? I mean, I guess if you don't have a problem with air slipping out of your your hood, great, happy days. But for me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I? I, just, I like it. It keeps the cold water out, and I don't have to push on my head all the way to the exactly. surface. Either. Yeah,
0: awesome. All right, cool. Well, I think we we beat that up pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, here's another one came in, and I love this question. So this is in training. We talk about balanced rigs and unbalanced rigs, and primarily it's related to your exposure suit. So we we say that. A dry suit is a balanced rig because you're adding gas on the way down and removing it on the way up. So the the buoyancy shift in a dry suit is basically zero. And we also put three millimeter wetsuits in that pile of balanced rig diving, balanced diving. So we're saying with a three millimeter wetsuit, you're effectively diving a balanced rig, primarily because the swing of the buoyancy of the suit when it compresses at depth is not that much. And a 7 millimeter wetsuit, we generally know, is unbalanced because it has a dramatic buoyancy swing on the way down and on the way up. Somebody wrote in and said to us, great, I understand 3 and I understand 7, but what about a 5 millimeter wetsuit that I dive all the time? Is that a balanced rig or is it not a balanced rig? And I thought that was a really good question.
1: It hmm, is a good question. And it's still something. We shot a video years ago, remember that, in, in in a German lake where we actually demonstrated the fact that if you dive to around about 30 meters and your wing loses its function, loses the ability to carry the weight of your gas and carry and compensate for the wetsuit compression, you can't get up, even though you dump your gas or you dump your weight. So... And still, people have a hard time sometimes grasping it, but it's a super good question. What about this 5-millimeter wetsuit? Okay, so the reason
0: that happens is, let's stop there for a second, right? You're in a 7-millimeter wetsuit. We don't know how much it compresses, but maybe it, you lose 5 kilograms
1: yeah, of weight like over the course hmm. of
0: you know 10 pounds as you go down to 100 feet or 30 meters. So you have to put that offset in the B.C., That's the only place you can carry that weight. So we know the BC carries the weight of the gas, but with a wetsuit, the BC also has to carry the weight of the wetsuit compression. So with a seven millimeter wetsuit, 30 meters, 100 feet, you may be putting five, four, five, six kilograms, you know, 10 or 12 pounds of additional lift into your BC. The video you're talking about is when you simulated failing that BC with a seven millimeter wetsuit at depth. Exactly. it it made the diver too heavy to actually come up just using her lungs in that case, uh, um, to maintain buoyancy. Exactly. So that that goes down the road of how we define it. Right. So I know that at 30 meters, a hundred feet, if I'm in a three millimeter wetsuit, I'm probably freezing to death. But if I'm not, then I can offset the weight, the compression of that little wetsuit. If the wing fails, um right. Use the, the weight ga- of the gas. D- exactly. And then and then use my lungs to bring up the the little three millimeter suit. And I know I can't do it with a seven millimeter wetsuit, so I don't dive seven millimeter wetsuits. If it's well, if exactly I need that, it's a three I dive part a
1: thing, suit. right? It's the the weight of the gas and the weight you have to offset the positive buoyancy of your suit or your other stuff. And and your lungs that that can carry some of the weight. So if we inhale, we you know go up, and if we exhale, we go down, happy days. So we're, we're sort of neutrally buoyant when it comes to our bodies. Now, when we put on this three millimeter wetsuit, which is relatively static, as we talk about buoyancy characteristics, so it doesn't compress much on the way down, then when we look at the weight of the gas, if we dive a single tank, we have about three kilos, or what's that in pounds, five or six, six pounds? Six, yeah. a little over six. of of weight of the gas. So if we just make sure that we have ditchable weight that equals the amount of weight of the gas, that means in the start of the dive, if you're perfectly balanced, your wing carries the weight of the gas. So your wing carries three kilos or six pounds. If your wing happens to fail in the beginning of the dive, you can just ditch those three kilos or six pounds and you're back to neutral again. You can exit the dive in a controlled manner. And that's if why you can
0: bring up if your lungs can bring up the suit.
1: Yeah, yeah. If your and lungs the, the, can bring up the, the
0: wetsuit. And what we're saying
1: is you can with a three millimeter suit. Exactly. With a three millimeter suit, that has a, a very, very little influence. And the seven millimeter has is the other end of the scale, which has a big influence. So the five millimeter wetsuit lies in between. And the answer, I guess, it also lies in between. It's like you can take a five millimeter a little bit deeper than you can with a seven millimeter. And still be semi-balanced. It all depends on how much you can carry with your with your lungs, how much you can comfortably carry. And it, it doesn't mean, doesn't only mean getting up, but it also means staying down when you need to. That's the whole idea of being balanced
0: on your on your stops on the way up. It's, exactly. So we, really, we're not even we're just talking about can you control your buoyancy?
1: That's it. Yeah.
0: So the answer is it depends. You know, right, which is probably going to be our favorite answer over the course of these podcasts. It depends, <laughs>
1: yeah. but a lot of things depend on a lot. Let's of things.
0: let's talk about testing all three of these scenarios, right? So with a three millimeter suit, you, you really don't have to test it much past ten meters, thirty feet, right? Because that's where you're getting half the compression. So if you can get yourself to thirty feet or ten meters, you can at that point things are. Yeah, you know, and you can hold your buoyancy there, then you can make a slow ascent to the surface. So let's start with a three millimeter wetsuit, right? You load it up, you go to 30, 30 feet, 10 meters, and you f- simulate the loss of the wing, right? So at this point, you're carrying your, your little bit of weight for the offset of the gas, right? So you have, if you have a full tank, you have three kilos or six pounds. So first thing you're going to do is fail the wing. And then ditch the weight of the gas, right? Yeah. So in this case, you're going to hand your partner, your buddy, your three pound weight. I'm, I'm sorry, your six pound weight, your three kilogram mm. weight, and that gets you as if the wing had failed, and you've done your initial job, which is ditch the weight of the gas. Exactly.
1: Then what? Well, then you can, then you should be able to ascend normally. If you then want to take this to the five millimeter wetsuit, it becomes a bit tricky. Because now you're going to dive deeper and do the same test. The way you can test it is, can you balance your lungs or you balance your equipment with just using your lungs at 18 meters when your, you know, your equipment fails, when your wing fails to keep the gas. And a lot of people, they, they, they question here is like, okay, but when does the wing fail? Well, it's rare, but it does happen um okay i've had three exactly in my life yeah, but, but three but,
0: i think three is a lot right that's
1: a lot that's a lot i one mean was,
0: one was in a pool so that kind of doesn't count right the the elbow blew off the back at the top yeah i just you know i was testing it at the beginning of the dive and I, I think the overpressure didn't go and all of a sudden the elbow blew off so that one doesn't really count because it was the beginning of the dive but it was still a failure the other two were for real.
1: Well, the beginning of the dive and that response, it, it's it's kind of the worst the worst place for you to have that failure happen. It's in the beginning of the dive at the deepest part, where usually we are at the beginning of the dive when you think about it. So if you're in the beginning of the dive at the deepest part, your wetsuit is the most compressed and you have the most amount of weight with you. For your wing to fail at that point in the dive is the most catastrophic. So, and. So a lot of these BCDs have, uh, and it's part of the reason why we don't advise using them have these pull dumps on the dump valve, on the on the inflator hose. So you basically yank on the inflator hose, and it activates a dump valve, on your shoulder. And we think that's a a, a poor design choice because it puts a lot of stress on that rubber hose, and it's the worst place on your wing for a failure to happen because if if you Either rupture the hose, or like Jeff has happened, uh, break the elbow. Then you lose a the 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 capability of your wing to hold gas, and b you lose the capability of putting more gas into the ga- into the wing. Even if you um, could get
0: in a trim position that would keep gas in the bottom,
1: yeah, you can't you can't fill it. <laughs> you can't fill it up. So because you broke of a... the
0: whole you broke the whole filling mechanism. Exactly.
1: I've had it happen right. on me that the dump valve on the bottom part broke because it got crushed, the the one on your on your kidney. And
0: less of a problem, right? It's
1: less of a problem. I just pulled on to dump gas and, and, and next thing you know I have this whole thing, the string and the, the, the valve and the cord and everything was in my <laughs> yeah. fingers. In your hand, right. <laughs> but hey, you just go and you dive forty five degrees, you know, and the air stays in your wing. It's sort of doable. But hey, coming back to the the issue, the question uh, we got was is a five millimeter wetsuit balanced. Well, if a seven millimeter is unbalanced or at least balanced to a very shallow depth, the five millimeter is balanced to a meteor depth. I would say, in the twenty meters to twenty-five meter range, thirty meters maximum, depending on what kind of equipment you're using elsewhere. But you have to test it. You can't just say we can't sit here and say, okay, your five millimeter suit's
0: balanced you've got to test it your suit your body your lungs your everything you've got to know if this works otherwise you know exactly. if you do have a wing failure yeah which are admittedly rare i mean i've talked to lots of people who've never had a wing failure but we've had them you, you have to know that you can do this so the answer of course is it depends but you have to test it and and ben went through the testing procedures where you just you know simulate a wing failure and see if you can manage your thing with the buoyancy the first Question new divers ask us in that situation. While well, my wing failed, can't I just hang on to my buddy and use his wing to come up to drag my seven millimeter lad body to the surface? So, this is um, remarkably bad idea number somewhere between one and two. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. You get a lot of people coming with really funny um, comments to this issue and coming with solutions. And one of them is, is this one you mentioned, huh? but your body can hold on to you. Until he doesn't. Okay, then what happens if your yeah. body drops you? Until really he doesn't, right? Then you opposite. both go to the opposite side of the really ocean. Really fast. So that,
0: that creates a bunch of problems, right? Yeah. Now you got no way to get home if you're going down. Yeah. B, you're blowing through all your stops if you're going up while you're trying to dump all the extra gas in your wing. And C, you no longer have a buddy. Yeah, because he's on the bottom you're on the surface. You're on the top. Yeah, so that's yeah. So we can check that one off as don't do that.
1: Don't do that. The another one that comes a bit close to a more realistic is having a double bladdered wing. I was just going to say that their wings on the market, they're 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 basically two bladders, two BCDs in one BCD, if you want. The reason, personally, I don't think that's a good solution is why were you wearing a thick wetsuit to begin with? Because it's probably cold water. Then if you dive that thick wetsuit to a uh, reasonable depth, the wetsuit's going to compress, so it's not going to give you much insulation, so it's going to cool you down. So you might have been better off with a dry suit to start with. On the and this, the, the most important thing I think is the double bladder wing is usually very dormant, never gets used. That inflator is not the most reliable piece of equipment it seizes up it corrodes inside the one you don't use cuz one's on the left one's on the right exact or, or in the back or whatever you know they 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 corrode on a on a good day when they get used that button if that doesn't get pushed which it doesn't in in like 50 dives it's not going to work or it'll stick it'll stick or it'll stick and a lot of people they 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 counteract that problem by not having it hooked up and then it's dangling behind them and they need to hook it up underwater in a situation where they're you know, sinking towards the bottom, it, it really doesn't work. It all boils down to the fact that if you have an emergency uh, protocol to solve a situation, you need to have that trained. If you don't train it, the protocol is useless. So it's better to have one, one protocol that trained than 500 protocols you didn't train. I saw um, a,
0: a picture the other day Of a double bladder wing sitting on a shelf, and it had bungees.
1: Well, I use so this is in 1999, I dived with one of those.
0: Yeah, great. You don't want that wing to fail. Well, what happens when the wing, the bungeed wing, fails? (laughs) It's
1: instant. Blow up a balloon and let it go in your room and see what happens to that balloon. Oh my God.
0: That was another one I couldn't believe actually got it got to the market, right? They're trying to make these things less floppy, so they put bungees all up and down the sides of the wing and then thinking it will contain it and keep it all nice and under control and not flopping around back there. And then the moment your wing fails or the moment you try to ex- uh, release a little tiny bit of gas out of it, yeah. it just is like...
1: Yeah, and the biggest issue here. I found with, when diving with that wing was then when you come and you learn a little bit about you know, properly weighting yourself, you don't carry too much weight. You have a tiny amount of gas in the wing towards the end of the dive, and it was super hard to get the remaining air out of the wing because now the bungees have contracted and it made these like I don't know sausage loops on the on the.
0: Yeah, it looks like a quilt. It's like quilted. Yeah, right? the gas is in there. And various there's so many pockets. Air... Exactly. and you can't, move you, it around. you can't
1: get it out of there. It's, it's a. It's not a good. It's not a good design. I don't. I don't think we people
0: think enough about controlling, you know, we talk about never let your equipment dive you, Mm. you have to dive your equipment. And that's one of the things, you know, it's, it's comes back to the discussion that people are always concerned about, um, getting gas in their feet of the wetsuit. Yeah. But that's a big part of controlling your trim. I'm sorry, dry suit. That's a big part of controlling your trim, controlling the way you are in the water, controlling your position. So I feel like I'm always kind of wiggling around or moving around or getting gas in my feet or out of the feet or in the wing or different parts of the wing. Or, yeah. and Yeah. And so, you know, all of these things that put you in a position where the equipment dives you as opposed to you diving the equipment, those are all bad ideas.
1: Thing, I mean, and you can't blame the divers that are doing this, right? Because diving is a very equipment-heavy sport. So it's super logical for a lot of people to think if they're lacking a certain technique, to solve it with a technical solution it's like okay hey there are so many inventions on the market like you know retractors and funny things that help you in your diving i mean it's so logical for a lot of people to think to sol- to solve a problem with their technique with a technical solution and i think this is where the training part comes into mind uh, or comes into play that you just need to train those things because you're, when you are you're, take your example with the air and the feet in your dry suit, when you learn to dive a dry suit properly, you want air in your feet. Oh yeah,
0: of course you do. You know, it keeps you, them up and you, it keeps your feet warm. You, you need it. it, it exactly. <laughs> Nothing worse than
1: cold <laughs> so, toes. Anyway. Anyway. So I hope that answered your question. If the five millimeter wetsuit and, is, and uh, the answer of is course balanced. Or not.
0: we just spent twenty minutes defining is
1: it depends. It just, <laughs> yeah, shallow depths or reasonably shallow depths. Yeah. All
0: right, so here's another one that can take us off the rails because <laughs> we got talking about this about uh, I don't know when over you were in San Diego last about a month ago, two months ago. It's like, so the question is, why is nitrox a ridiculous <laughs> gas?
1: This is going to get a lot of people fired up.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm. I hope so. I hope so. Because we were before the show, we were talking about this. And it's like, remember back when it was called voodoo gas and people thought their cars were going to blow up when they're driving around and oxygen was dangerous and, and all of that? I,
1: I spoke yeah. not so long ago on a big dive show on your side of the globe. I spoke to a very high member of the diving community uh, without naming any names. He was still convinced that diving with nitrox is dangerous. I'm
0: all over that guy. I want to meet that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because so so just to back up for 10 seconds if you for some reason you don't know what nitrox is, nitrox is a breathing gas where we actually increase the percentage of oxygen in the mix in order to reduce the percentage of nitrogen. That's really all it does, exactly. right? It's it's, it's En- enriched air, enriched as air. Some people so, also call it. Yeah. So the oxygen in that scenario becomes what we call a diluent, right? It's a diluter mm. of the air. The nitrogen. It, mm. Yeah, dilutes the nitrogen out. So normally we dive in. You know, normally our air is twenty-one percent oxygen and seventy-nine percent nitrogen. And you know, with the standard nitrox gas, we've raised that oxygen level to thirty-two percent and reduced the nitrogen level to sixty-eight percent, which Ostensibly, on the outside, looks like it's a really good idea because you're diving around with less nitrogen in the gas, which means less nitrogen loading, which means less decompression stress on your body, which means you can, um, on a same time dive, you're, you're absorbing less... You come out cleaner. ...nitrogen because the partial pressures of nitrogen are lower. Exactly. And on a... Um, or you can utilize that same reduction in nitrogen stress to stay a little longer... Mm. At um,
1: at the same depth, at an equal depth. Well, this is where. So why is it ridiculous? Well, exactly. This is where the first misconception (laughs) comes. Right, that people say, "Yeah, well, it's a safer gas." Well, no, it's not. That's a ridiculous claim, because if you're diving to the same limits, it just takes you longer to get to those limits. How can that be safer? You're spend. In fact, you can argue that it's more dangerous because you're spending a longer time in a hazardous environment, which underwater is, you know hazardous per definition we're not meant to be there um maybe we're talking to the wrong crowd yeah, but here fun. but but it's fun yeah but it's, it's fun, it's fun. so so we no diving diving on nitrox doesn't make you a safer diver and then they say well yeah but if you dive nitrox on an air table for a longer time so you're not usali- utilizing that um lower nitrogen load then it's safer well, yeah. it's kind, I mean, saver is less decompression stress. stress per definition safer. I mean, if you want to go that route, I guess so. But you have to track your oxygen. You have to account for the fact that you're underwater. So my thing about I mean, this
0: is, why would you take a perfectly good gas like air and dilute it with a toxic gas... Like oxygen, Mm -hmm. right? So we know that oxygen and nitrogen have the same narcotic properties. So you're not you're not saving yourself any help on narcosis. And as you get to the deeper depths, you know, in that, you know, 90, 100 foot, 27, 30 meter range, you're loading your oxygen to a point where the PPO two of is going up, and that's creating a potential problem on the other side, none of which happens with air. Now, Traditionally, you can stay longer. So if that's a thing, that's okay. But what I think is if you are at 100 feet, 30 meters, over and over and over again, and you're doing it on nitrox, you're just risking toxicity, tiny risk for that, narcosis, completely real risk for that, and all you're doing is saving a few dollars because the gas you should be diving is Trimix.
1: Well, exactly. This is where it spins off, right? I mean, if you're looking at the, the data, uh, the best way to dilute a gas to get a longer bottom time is to put helium in it. Beforehand, helium was thought to give a penalty um, to your decompression because it was said that because it's a thinner gas, it'll dissolve faster, and it does, but it doesn't bind as good. So it also uh, dissolves out of the body faster so actually reducing your your decompression time and your no-stop limit so yes helium would be the better choice
0: right so the helium when you when you put helium in you're effectively making trimix and when you put helium in you're getting two really good things happening right you're reducing oxygen oh, you,
1: you can get a heliox you can get a heliox mixture i mean if you're looking at our materials you can see that table that that just basically is an air table 21 percent oxygen 79 percent nitrogen set beside a heli-air, which is 21% oxygen, but 79% helium. And, and you can see the differences in in, in in no decompression limit, and they're huge because of right. the helium. You would have to sell your Porsche to be able to afford that much gas. And this is it, right? I mean, <laughs> think about the standard gases. When you're looking at the standardized accepted values for nitrox, it's 1.4 bar of partial pressure of oxygen for the working part and or normal part of your dive, and 1.6 partial pressure of the decompression part of your dive. Of the um, oxygen. Of oxygen, yeah. So our consensus in UTD is that we maximize the partial pressure of oxygen to 1.2, uh, which offsets the exposure time so your oxygen toxicity units for those of you who have, have taken a nitrox class or, or, or technical divers know about that and and the other oxygen tracking is basically for those of you that are not nitrox trained it's it's a way of calculating your exposure over a longer period that's about it and it's still
0: way 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 more oxygen than your body actually needs yeah right because the ppo2 at the surface
1: is 0.2 exactly well it, exactly and, it, and and that's another misconception with the to nitrox that people think that you become that you use less gas because you have more oxygen available well that's a bit like your car has a certain gas mileage if you put a bigger tank on that car the gas mileage doesn't increase um, and that's the same your body uses what your body needs so if you increase the partial pressure it doesn't make your body more efficient it, it well if there are some doctors out there or more medically trained people it does a tiny 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 little bit but it's almost immeasurable um so it does it's not measurable in your gas consumption that's for sure so we can realistically bring the partial pressure of a single tank of
0: breathing gas for scuba down to a point where it's it just has to be safe to breathe on the surface ideally yeah right so I... that's the that's the start but a depth You know, we're talking about these PPO2s of 1.2, 1.1. It's way higher than we need. So instead of using oxygen to create nitrox, if you used helium to create trimix, you're not only getting rid of the nitrogen, which is a good thing, you're also getting rid of the oxygen, which is a good thing. Exactly. You know, if you go a little bit lower, if you go to a gas that's like 18% oxygen, 45% helium, and then the rest is nitrogen that's the magic perfect perfect gas mm. for you know dives from 30 to whatever 60 meters 50 60 meters yeah. because the oxygen's reduced the nitrogen's reduced it's replaced with helium which has a much lower stress on your deco and the only downside like the only downside is that it's expensive
1: exactly that's expensive i mean and that that's i mean that brings us back to the 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 part where i think that nitrox should be reconsidered by some divers is when they take it below 30 meters um we look at nitrox reconsidered you you said reconsidered yeah re- reconsider it i mean you're be- saying rec- reconsidered. Don't, don't we're saying don't dive exactly. it below meters. We, we have a simple feet. A simple rule that says don't we don't do deep air diving, and then basically nitrox is air, right? It's a mixture between twenty-one between oxygen and nitrogen, so we limit that to thirty meters.
0: But that's a narcosis problem as much as anything. A else.
1: narcosis problem and a, a gas density problem, because the the good thing of the higher up partial pressure of oxygen and thus the lower partial pressure of nitrogen is that a high partial pressure of nitrogen in your body increases something that's called bl- red blood cell rigidity and it make basically makes your red blood cells uh, stiffer and less prone to uh, take on oxygen to transport it to your cells where they what is need for for um, metabolic purposes so that's a that's a, a plus of lowering the nitrogen but it's a plus of lowering the nitrogen regardless if you're doing it by adding helium or adding oxygen. Um, the best thing is to lower the oxygen, like Jeff said, and to lower the nitrogen. Now, if you go dive below 30 meters... 100 feet. Still using an air mixture, 100 feet, yeah. You're risking narcosis to an extremely high level, and uh, and that's obviously a concern. But but maybe more of a concern is the density of the gas. The density of the gas is is a really bad thing, because it... it, it brings on a whole host of new problems. It brings on uh, CO2 retention, it brings on um, breathing resistance, which also gives the CO2 uh, buildup in your body, and that makes you more sensitive to higher partial pressures of oxygen. And obviously uh, CO2 is also a very toxic and narcotic gas. It, it also uh, um, uh, disables you from a narcotic po- point of view. So the density of the gas is the first factor we look at when we don't do deep air dives, and then obviously the narcosis um, part of it as well. So the nitrox is a ridiculous gas for a lot of applications that people use it for. <laughs> uh, it does have a window, of course. I mean, it makes sense to to prolong your bottom time in those intermediate depths between 20 and 30 meters. Um, but...
0: Right, I was doing a lot of scientific diving a few years ago and we would do three or four dives in the in that mm. range, right? 40 to 60 feet, which is what 12 to 18 meters and and in that scenario because the nitrogen stress is kind of low, mm. the oxygen the, nar- the narcotic uh risk is very low. Yeah that putting a little extra oxygen in there you know i don't want to be hypocritical about it was was not a bad thing mm. and we were going through so much gas it financially wasn't didn't make sense to put helium in there and we weren't deep enough that the narcotic properties with, were a with so, yeah. in that little tiny tiny scenario i think it's a good idea but for pretty much anything else i think you know it's like me i go from dry suit a three millimeter wetsuit. Yeah, I don't here. dive anything in the middle. No. To me, it's kind of the same deal. I go from air to trimix. And the number of times I've done a nitrox-only, nitrox-specific dive in the last... Mm. I can't tell you. The yeah. last five years. Well, I, Ten? I get... You know? And it's because yeah, exactly. it was sitting there. It was in uh, front the of thing me. is,
1: a lot of people also go, go on board. I see, oh well, nitrox is better because it's higher oxygen. And then you have less decompression. Yeah, that's true. And then we're going to do a, a training dive to 10 meters. It's like, ah, can I get some Nitrox-32? That's a standard of gas. I always dive with Nitrox-32. Well, it's absolutely pointless to put Nitrox-32 in your tank if you're going to dive to 10 meters. There's no benefit whatsoever. Um, there is for the dive shop that filled your tanks. The, exactly. There, there is some logistical stuff. I mean, uh, here... Well, I mean, it's a, it's a
0: financial game, right? You're going to fill a tank for $6 or €5. Euros. You're going to fill a Nitrox tank for 15
1: But here in Europe, the oxygen is super cheap. Oxygen is super cheap, even though to the point that a lot of dive clubs, uh, it's included in your membership. Wow, that's great. So if you're going to, yeah, yeah. Then they just have, from a practical point of view, if they have like a hundred bar remaining in their tank to top it up with air would give them a, a funky mixture of like nitrox 25 or something like that. So they would just put it at nitrox 32, which is a standardized gas. And I, and I mean, in, so in the United States, I think.
0: Uh, sorry, I think in the United States, you know, it's different. Where we're talking at least double the price of a fill for nitrox, which obviously means it's just a waste of money, like you said, if you're at at ten meters, thirty feet.
1: I've always said anything below, like shallower than eighteen meters, sixty feet, makes no sense to dive it on nitrox. No sense at all. No. Yeah. Or trimix, it, or trimix for that matter. Yeah.
0: So. Okay. So, we, uh, so yeah, we, but when we started this and we got talking about, you know, the fact that, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, people, you know, said nitrox was a voodoo gas and it was dangerous and shouldn't be used. I'm like, I agree with all those people, but for completely different reasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> exactly. Because a lot of people, they don't so. realize what the downsides of denser yeah. gas are and nitro- mm. nitrogen are. They just think about the one that comes to mind, and that's narcosis. And some people even think that it gives them less narcosis, which, which it doesn't. That
0: doesn't. No. Okay, awesome. Uh, I think we have time for one more. Yeah. And and this this, this one also can go off the rails. Right? But we have so two questions.
1: Is, we have two questions left.
0: I, I know. We'll see if we get to the other one. But the, this one that I'm really interested in is if you have two divers of different body composition and size... Mm-hmm. Which one should carry the larger tank? Or or just,
1: yeah, just two divers with different gas consumptions, right?
0: Gas consumptions, right. So when my wife and I dive, right, she has a much smaller, she's, you know, she's a smaller person, smaller lungs, lower sac rate than me. Um, And I'm kind of like a normal sized person with a normal sac rate. So uh, should she carry more gas or should I carry more gas?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, right? It's a, I mean, it's the, a really the good person question. who sent this in really thought about th- things because it's not something you hear a lot, but it's something we talk about a lot of our classes. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of called what we call um, uh, gas matching. So it boils down to when you when we calculate how much gas we need to keep as a reserve is something we call rock bottom. And all of you UTD-trained divers out there, you know what that means. It's enough gas for two divers to come safely to the surface or the next available gas source. Uh, And that obviously is different for every dive you do if the dive is to a different depth. So that begs to differ. Who is carrying whose backup? So Jeff, in your case, you're carrying the backup for your wife and your wife is carrying the backup for you. Now, if you're the air guzzler you are, you say you are. <laughs> you know? Yeah, if, 20 if you, minutes on an 80. And then you're done, right? It's vacuumed. And I'm done. Yeah, I'm back on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's so so basically she needs to carry the volume you would use in an air sharing scenario. Yeah. And and you would carry the volume she would use. Right. So we plan the gas
0: out, right? I need you know, based on actual sac rates, I need this much for the dive, and you need this much for the dive. And then in your tank, I need this much for the ascent, and in my tank, you need this much for the ascent. Which also doesn't take into account, what if you run into somebody else who needs gas?
1: Well, exactly.
0: So we'll get to that in a minute. But let's just talk yeah. about, about, you know, me and Sherry as the team, right? Hmm. So do
1: we need to go down with the same amount of gas well when we calculate in utd right we say 20 liters per minute is a sac rate that's on average for every person and and it's probably on the high side for most of the people but right it's that's 0.75 cubic feet a minute yeah so 0.75 cubic feet is a, is a pretty good average i mean if you ever done the calculation, most people relaxed and good trim and good buoyancy control, good fitting techniques would probably have anywhere between 0.6, I guess, and or 0.5 and 0.6 cubic feet or in liters, that's about 15 to 18 liters per minute, realistically. Now, if when you look at Sherry and Jeff, Jeff is probably towards the 20 liters per minute. And Sherry's probably towards the fourteen, fifteen liters per minute, so 0.5 cubic feet. Because of lung, because of lung volume. So regardless, if we're looking at our gas consumption, then you can you can do the math and give yourself some buffer. But the fact of the matter is, if you calculate on true gas consumptions and only think about yourself, you might be doing your buddy short. We see a lot of the times the guy or girl with the huge air consumption diving a twin set or a big tank. And then, you know, usually either the kid or uh, whatever they dive with that have a smaller smaller person have a smaller air consumption. They have a smaller tiny tank. It's a bit funny because when they do air share, it either means they have a very little, a very short time underwater, because you can do it, of course. You just have to relate the. Li- but you get to rock bottom, and you get to rock
0: bottom in no time. Exactly, and you're done.
1: Yeah. Because when we look at rock bottom, it's, it's, it's in liters related to the pressure uh, because of the size of the tank. So if we say, okay, a 30-meter dive, 100-foot dive requires 1,200 liters of gas.
0: Right, which is about 1,500
1: psi in an aluminum 80. And that's it, in an aluminum 80. So if I need 1,200 liters and I dive on a 12-liter tank, that's 100 bar. So if I dive it in a double 12, that's only 50 bar. So that means that if you do that math and you give this smaller person the smaller tank, they need to have a higher bar as a minimum turning pressure a minimum ascent pressure. And that's what you just need to, or psi. Or
0: psi if you if you're here. Right.
1: Yeah. So so it's interesting. So
0: basically, you know, my answer to this question is Nobody should carry a bigger tank. Everybody should carry enough gas, the same gas, for the dive based on our uh, published sacrate rate numbers. Exactly. Which is basically you know, 0. 0.5 cubic feet or 15 liters a minute on deco and resting. Yeah. It's 0. 0.75 or 20 on diving and it's one cubic foot a minute or 30 liters a minute on emergency and just go with those numbers because that's what's critical in making sure you're diving as a team. And it's also responsible because even if you're diving with people you know, and even if you're diving with somebody at low SAC rate and you have two people at low SAC rate, you could always be in a position, and we've seen this, Where somebody new to diving gets off a boat, gets going, runs out of gas, has no one to share gas with. And you've now reserved a tiny bit of gas for your tiny little partner to come to the surface. And now you have, you know, a a giant breathing that down Mm. in no time. Exactly. You know, if you're going to be responsible in the water, I think you got to carry enough gas for people who you don't know also. So... My answer to right. this question,
1: especially in traveling yeah, scenarios.
0: Yeah. My answer to this question is you you both take the same amount of gas and you base it on the standard numbers. Yeah. So nobody gets to carry. I mean, we see this all the time, right, with kids who are carrying these little 63 cubic foot tanks or even I've seen kids go in the water with a 40, yeah. a little basically a deco bottle, hmm. and you know, they're not doing their parent or partner any good in that situation. No. no. Exactly. That's for next next podcast. Why don't we teach kids? I have that as a question also came in. But Yeah. Regardless of that, the answer to the who should carry the bigger tank is everybody. Exactly. Everybody should carry. You know, it's it's like we we always said in flying the most worst, worthless thing in aviation is the air in your gas tanks. <laughs> That's and, a good point. And and I, yeah. and I think it's the same in diving, right? Yeah. The most worthless thing in diving is the gas you left on the boat.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So Yeah. If one person in the yeah. team needs the gas, everyone in the team they takes everyone the gas. Everyone needs it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that leads us to another question which we're going to talk about next time too on team bailout. Oh, that's a nice one. So we have this one little question left that could also go off the rails. You wanna you wanna talk about yeah, it? Yeah, we can
1: either keep it very, very short or we can just take it on a long ride. I think we we take it short and see what happens in the comment section or if people pops up with more questions after this one. Remember okay. to also Give us a name for this whole thing, right? Yeah, we don't know what we're called. So we got a question is, what is a backup light really for? So there's there's two things I've always said to myself uh, as a teacher. like, A, there's no such thing as a bad student. And B, there's no such thing as a stupid question. So before you think, what's a backup light really for? And you think, oh, that's stupid. That's when your primary light fails. But I guess this person, you know, this person probably thought about that also. So, what's a backup light really for?
0: Right. I mean, is it obvious? I don't know. Why do we carry backup lights at all? So that's the obvious answer, right? The backup light is for when your primary light fails. Why do we carry backup lights during the day? Well, I carry backup lights during the day because they hold the D-rings down on my harness and it's part of, for me, it's it's really, this, it's really this pedantic. It's like, I look at the kit, I look at my BC, it's got two backup lights on it. I try to never change anything. I have one piece of dive gear that I use, right? It's a Z system, side mount system. It's set up with a long hose, two backup lights, isolator manifold, and I dive it at, you know, 10 feet, three meters in open water on a beautiful little reef. And I dive it at, 100 feet, 30 meters in a cold cave full of current, and I dive it at 200 feet, 60 meters hmm. on a tech dive with two deco bottles. Yeah. I don't want to change anything for the dive. The only thing I might do is take one tank instead of two if I'm doing a single tank dive, Yeah, or three instead of four, or two instead of three. So for me, the consistency of a kit becomes really, really important. That I, never, I just want to look at that thing and say, Okay, it's complete, and that way I'll never get on a dive that may slip into night. And it's like, oh, I didn't take it because I didn't think I'd need it.
1: And mm. like
0: so for me, the backup lights are primarily to own a complete kit that's always the same for every dive, yeah. and to hold those D rings down so when I clip stuff off, the D rings don't go flying up.
1: Well, exactly. I, I might take the you know I might take the left backup light off occasionally if I don't if I don't need it or I'm never going to come into night or overhead. Uh, but the right backup light it stays there because it we like it on the outside of the harness for two other purposes than just to have a backup light. It's A, it keeps the D-ring down, like Jeff said. And for those of you can't envision that, like imagine that D-ring is just held in place by a triglide. So if the D-ring is held down, that means it the clip of the the single in the clip of the backup light is on the D-ring, and the backup light is held in place on the harness underneath a piece of webbing or underneath a piece of bungee, like a a bicycle inner tube. And then when you go to clip off your long hose, it keeps that deering in place and it doesn't move it up uh, and out of your reach or or it makes it harder to find. So that's a a, a good side effect.
0: The other thing you talked about earlier is, remember you're talking about on the double bladder wings that there's one piece of it that never gets used? Yeah, This is the other thing that happens to me. When I jump on a dive, I always test both lights. Well, that's our part. So I never have one. Yeah, but what it means is if I have that light on every dive, it gets tested on every dive, and it never gets full of corrosion and batteries and stuff like that. So if it leaked, I know about it. Exactly. And, and I'm not just assuming that it's working in the case. So that's the other part of it, which is mm. keep it using, or, use it, or test drained. it, yeah. use it or lose it, that kind of thing. Exactly.
1: If you have it, you test it. You know, yeah, if you have it, you test yeah. it. Yep.
0: So, so it it seems like a ridiculous question, but it's it's actually not a ridiculous question, right?
1: No, because I think the where where he wanted to go was: can you continue on a backup light when your primary light fails? I think that's I think that's where it comes from. Hmm. I, hmm. So, if that if that's the question, no, no, the answer is simple. If you need a backup light, you need a primary light. If you need a primary light, you need a backup light. If your primary light fails, you have a backup light to get you out of dodge. If you're diving with a light because you like to look at the pretty colors the light gives you because you can bring the colors back... In the day in open water,
0: as you're talking about.
1: In the day on the Red Sea somewhere, you know, on a shallow reef, then you can argue, okay, can I continue with a backup light because I don't need a light, you know, to start with to do the dive safely. Then, sure. Sure. But if you need a light and your primary light fails and it gets dark around you, you turn on your backup light, can you then continue? No. I think this came... Even, go ahead. Even with two backup
0: lights. Right. Which came from um, a lot of the Sheck-Exley material, right? The fact that we have two backup lights, where you mm. know he initially, when he, was, when he wrote a little book about cave safety... It was like you yeah. know, continuous guideline, all this other stuff. But he also always said three lights per person, a primary and two backups. And I think we took that, mm. started doing it. And you know, for me, I just kept on kept on keeping on with it. And it just seemed like a good idea. So yeah, It makes yeah, a lot of sense. It's like every other little part of a kit, right? You just want it put together. You want it to be nice. You want it to be working. And you want it to
1: be consistent. Exactly. So, so I mean, when you look at how critical it is for us to see underwater or to see in, in general. If you're in a situation where you're dependent on light, you bring into the situation like a, a night dive or a cave dive or a penetration dive or just a very deep dive, you cannot have enough gas and you can never have enough lights. It's as simple as that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah.
0: That's absolutely true. It's the same as, you know, would you continue a dive with a leaky tank? Yeah. Eh, probably not.
1: No.
0: Awesome. Well, so that was fun. Oh. Hopefully it was educational, interesting. Um, we're collecting more questions. We'll do this once in a while. We need a name. Give us a name. We need a name. Ask Hashtag. Us, Hashtag. <laughs> Ask you to do anything. Hashtag. We don't know what we're called. So give us a name for this podcast and we'll we'll filter them into the others um, as we do, as we move along. So, um Yeah.
1: Yeah. Whoever comes up with the name will give an honorary thank you. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, mention we'll, we'll on thank the show them. here. I think yeah, that's, that's got
0: enough value.
1: We'll, we'll publicly we'll publicly thank them.
0: There you go. So that <laughs> if that doesn't get you thinking, nothing will. So uh, anyway, check it out. Check us out. Utdscubadiving dot com. The. Um, the content, the educational content, all the course content is under subscription now. So if you do a single monthly subscription, you get access to all the content that's in that category. So if you subscribe to the the recreational package, you get open water, nitrox, rescue, dry suit, all these other classes. If you subscribe to the tech package, you get everything. Tech one, tech two, tech three, rebreather, um, gas blender, cylinder and valve inspector and technician and all that. So uh, you can check that out. There's a ton of content on the, uh, on the website and more going on every day. Uh, this week I've actually been working on, uh, bringing back the old UTD journals, which started in, I think, 2015, and I'm going to get them posted as kind of a legacy. Mm. If you'd like to read about some of the history of UTD, those, there's about 30, 30, um, issues back nice. there. So we'll, uh, we'll get those online. They're kind of being replaced by podcasts now because they're funner, uh, uh, but the journals were cool when we were doing them. You, you were on the cover of one.
1: Yeah, it was nice. I wrote a little article in one that's called uh, A Day in the Life of a BCD or something like that, which basically relates to the question on, on the balanced rig. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is quite exactly. funny. Exactly. So, all and right, also, if you, if you like this like, nerdy content of diving deeper into some of the theory, go and check out our YouTube channel because there's a lot of videos. There's actually a new video every week. Uh, on diving related it can be tips and tricks it can be theory it can be equipment setup, it can be anything so um, check us out there We'll uh, you won't disappoint it
0: good and please share the podcast give us a five star review or uh, and a rating and be sure to write a review it helps tremendously to get more traction on it and uh, we'll be back
1: with you next time thanks yeah. thanks everybody thanks for listening remember Nitrox is ridiculous wow <laughs> <laughs>